The State Inspector General's Office has broad jurisdiction over executive offices and agencies, as well as most public authorities. But despite this diverse mandate, more than half the complaints the office receives generally originate from one agency, the State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, at least according to statistics from 2021. So we're checking in with State Inspector General Lucy Lang to discuss the oversight of New York's correction system, which has been a focus of hers since taking office in 2021, including appointing an attorney in charge to coordinate investigations, audits, and compliance by the department. Thanks for joining us in the studio, Inspector General. I'm so glad to be here. So for starters, in 2021, your office received about 2,500 complaints, of which 57% were connected to docs. Is that breakdown still representative of the complaints you receive? It's pretty consistent over time, yeah. And why do you think that is? It's a huge agency. It is a critically important one. It has tremendous impact on the lives of people who are who are touched by the system. And there's a lot of room for growth. In early 2022, you appointed, as I mentioned, a senior investigative counsel to serve as attorney in charge overseeing uh, your responsibilities with docs. What has been the effect of that personnel decision? The work that we've done in docs since I took office has benefited not just from uh, the very seasoned staff who oversee those investigations, but also from a very intentional decision to be on the ground, learning from the people who are most impacted by docs. And that has meant that I personally have visited every prison in New York State over the course of my first year in office. And at every facility, there are 44 docs facilities, uh, prison facilities in the state. At every one, I spoke to incarcerated people, to corrections officers, and to administrators to try to identify where there are rooms for improvement, where to focus our investigations, and to build relationships so that we are getting tips uh, when something is going wrong behind bars. And do you feel like there's been a payoff from that approach at this point, or do you feel like it's still too early to see results from that outreach? In fact, the workers' compensation work that we did was directly a result of of those visits that I heard time and time again from incarcerated people and staff that they were understaffed. And when we probed, I learned that many prison administrators were challenged by the fact that there were so many corrections officers who were out on workers' compensation. And I happened to serve as the workers' compensation fraud inspector general as well, so had two reasons to look into these kind of anecdotal concerns that staffing was being impacted by workers' compensation. And what we found was that some facilities really did have huge numbers of people out on workers' comp and that the majority of them were not related to uh, contact with an incarcerated person, so um, unlikely to be related to changes in the prison population and not consistent with other sectors. And that led us to, to dig in to the report that you mentioned earlier. Well, yeah, your report notes that uh, the corrections workers have a very lucrative workers' compensation benefit, especially compared to other sectors of the public workforce. Does there seem to be an increased utilization of this benefit compared to the previous benefit, or are the high rates of workers' comp usage pretty consistent throughout the different changes to the benefit? It does seem that there may be a relation between this very generous benefit and the numbers of workers' comp because of how different it looks from, say, the state police or others who don't have that particular provision. And and you mentioned the fact that 
a lot of the cases of workers' comp benefits being utilized don't actually involve incidents that stemmed from contact with an incarcerated individual. So does that seem to undercut the need for an increased benefit for prison guards in terms of workers' comp if they're not actually getting injured as a result of interactions with the incarcerated New Yorkers? It may, and we saw a number of different instances where there were patterns that are consistent with indicia of fraudulent use of workers' comp, including what is colloquially called behind bars couples comp, where we would see two married people or people who are in a relationship who both were employed who would either be out on comp at the same time for a long stretch or who would take alternating comp, perhaps to provide child care or fill in other kinds of gaps. So as reporters, when we break a story, sometimes additional pieces will then come to us after we've rattled the hornet's nest, so to speak. So in the case of this issue, in the wake of this report coming out in May, have any additional hornets been popping out from the nest, I guess, so to speak, since the three months have passed? Have you heard more either anecdotally or systemically about a potential workers' comp fraud in the prison system? We have continued our aggressive investigation into instances where there are indicators of fraud. And do you want to say any more than that? Is there expectations of a follow-up report in the near future, for example? I think it's important to know that we are watching and that we're paying attention. There are limitations to the way that workers' comp works in the Department of Corrections that make these investigations particularly challenging. So, for example, in the NYPD, when someone is out on workers' compensation leave, they have to stay at home, which means that they can be easily monitored and checked on to make sure that they are, in fact, unwell. That's not a requirement in docs. And so, We do find that people travel when they're on workers' comp and and other things that undermine their claims of legitimate injury. And of course, this is very detrimental, not just to the incarcerated people who rely on a full staff to ensure that they get the programming uh, to which they're entitled, but to other staff as well who end up having to do mandatory overtime, double shifts, et cetera, to make up for the staffing gaps. Do you anticipate making a recommendation, say, to the legislature for potential changes to how workers' comp benefits are utilized or how people become eligible for them in the prison system? I don't view my role as one that includes making laws, but I do view it as providing information to folks that do. My hope in putting out this report that included a number of recommendations about the particular elements that make it difficult to enforce uh, and also highlighting the unique incentive structure, perhaps, of, of that contract provision is that it is a tool for lawmakers and others to use in thinking through how they administer these complex systems like workers' compensation. So you won't necessarily be calling up lawmakers to say, hey, here's some suggestions on how to improve it? Is it just you put the report out and you feel like you're just washing your hands of it at this point? You know, we put the report out and, and talk widely about what the particular recommendations are, but they are not directed towards specific legislators or advocating for particular changes. It really is to educate not just lawmakers and the facilities and administration themselves, but the public about what's going on here so that the public can participate and have a voice in calling for change if it's necessary. So your office's report notes that allegations of fraud against DOCS employees outpace the resources available to investigate every individual 
case of potential malfeasance. Does this imbalance need to be addressed somehow? Sure. We could always use a bigger budget to expand our investigations. As I said, they can be particularly thorny cases to investigate because of the lack of restrictions on movement, et cetera. And we work closely with the workers' compensation board themselves and their investigators where possible. But the other hope, of course, is that in putting this out, that it has a deterrent effect on people who would abuse the workers' compensation system, which, as you know, New York has a great tradition of supporting workers. And workers' compensation exists because we are a pro-worker state and, and should be. And what this does when people commit, especially large-scale workers' comp, like we discuss in the report, is it undermines the integrity of hardworking people who are hurt on the job and legitimately do need and deserve their workers' compensation benefits. Well, given the challenge of going after every individual case, is there something to be said about trying to approach this from a cultural stance? Because one of the things I was struck by in the report is that it seems to be a general acceptance that someone is going to put in a claim and they can get up to six months of benefits without any significant questions being asked. No one's necessarily probing for extensive documentation. And that seems to be something that would be an issue at the managerial level. So does something need to be done or should something or could something be done at the higher levels in the prison system, which might not necessarily require addressing every individual complaint if you're tackling it from the higher ups? There's tremendous room for culture change across docs. And I do hope that the report will help kind of move the needle in that way. We may have talked before about the time I spent teaching in New York's prisons and observed that there are so many hardworking corrections officers and prison staff. And then there is a real kind of us-them mentality that uh, perhaps undermines the rehabilitative promise of the Department of Corrections. As we speak right now, you have been at this job for, what, a year plus? How long? It'll be uh, two years at the end of November. And what are your reflections at this point? Do you feel like this is a rewarding thing where you're constantly able to succeed and get stuff done? Are you running into walls? What's your impression of the job at this point? I've loved getting to travel the state and get to know the incredible breadth of state workers who keep our state running. I have loved getting to see the landscape of the New York State Parks and to learn really deeply about the agencies that keep the state beautiful, keep our our people safe and protected. So that's been incredibly fulfilling. It's also been fascinating to work on culture change in my own organization, and that has included a real investment in making technological change to try to improve our our caseflow and case management, to try to better facilitate our remote capabilities, et cetera. Thinking about the next couple of years, I feel really excited about continuing to be out in the community on the ground in the state agencies and hearing for myself what's challenging to New Yorkers and to New York State employees and trying to identify patterns and as we did in the workers' compensation report with docs to highlight those issues for the public. Are you expecting to make any significant changes in your budgetary asks for the budget that the governor is going to roll out in January? I'm afraid that my finance director would kick me if I said anything notable on that front. But we have an incredible staff of hardworking, smart, diverse folks who work across a number of disciplines. And I'm really 
thrilled with our staff and, and uh, what we have been able to do with the resources we have. Well, we've been speaking with New York State Inspector General Lucy Lang. Inspector General Lang, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.